Disciples live differently. Disciples live differently to the, those in the world because they realize the investment God has made in them. I want to slow down and read that again. Get that into our heads and hearts. Disciples live differently to those in the world. You know that. But this part is important. Because of what? Because they're more holy? No. Because they're better looking? No. Because they're better uh, class? No. Because they're North Indian or South Indian? No. But because they realize the investment God has made in them. The investment God has made in them. I could throw this bottle around. I could throw. Even if I dropped it, there's really no problem. This is what? How much is this? Five rupees? Ten rupees? Yeah? But if I was carrying a vase, a vase, if I was carrying something precious, if I was carrying, uh, you know, uh, a, a bag, bag full of money, if I was carrying something precious, then I would carry it a little bit more with fear and trembling. I'd carry it a little bit more carefully because of the price that has been paid for it. Because of the price that has been paid for it. You carry yourself through this world because of the price tag on your life. Because of what God has invested in you. Because you are precious. Because you're not ordinary. Because you're not like everybody else. Because you are carrying the purposes and the... And the, and the, and the, uh, the what's that word I'm looking for? The oracles of God. You're carrying that with you. Therefore you are more valuable. Therefore you think twice about your life. Therefore you give thought to your life. Disciples live differently into the, to those in the world. Why? Because they realize the investment God has made in them. We want you to grow deep. We want you to grow strong. We've got waterline for the men. We've got small groups for the women. Girls are getting into groups. Some of the girls and ladies are going to meet me right after the service and I'm going to in, in, uh, put them together in groups so that we, we can start the material with them called Get, get Healthy. Then after that it gets strong. Then you've got to get going. We're going to move people. We've got to move people. In the area of your faith, strong faith changes and challenges perspectives and reconstructs our past and retunes our praise. In faith, we move from pain to praise. Today, you're going to learn about how you need to think differently from the world because of the huge investment that's in you. We've struggled with compromise. We've struggled with a lack of sense of, of purpose. You should get some of that purpose or perspective today. You'll also learn about God's greatest asset that He's given to you. The greatest asset He's given to you is not your looks. It's not your body. It's not your, uh, your contacts or even your name and where you come from, your position or your, or your prestige. It is your mind. Your mind is God's greatest asset and every four, all the four parts of today's message, everything we're going to learn, the four ways of living differently, all start here. The mind is where God has done most of his work. All right, are we ready? So last time we left off in verse 9, today we start in verse 10, okay? Somebody read verse 9 for me. Somebody read verse 9 for me. Any Christian here with the Bible? Loudly. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Obtaining the outcome, of your faith. the outcome, the result of your faith, the very salvation of your soul. The very salvation of your soul. Then in verse 10 he says, and this salvation. This salvation. Concerning this salvation. Which salvation? The salvation that you obtained because of your faith. The salvation that God gave to you in response to your faith. This salvation is what he wants to talk about. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, underline prophets. This is like going back to school. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Can you underline that? The grace that was to be yours. The grace that was to be. That's from the past, going back to the past, to the future tense. So he's talking about the future, but he's talking about from the past. A bit confusing. Okay, it's like back to the future. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was going to be yours, what did they do? What did these prophets do? They searched and inquired carefully. They studied this. They studied the text. They studied the revelations. They're like, what is going on? Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit in them was telling them, what was he explaining to them and predicting about two things? Number one, the sufferings of Christ. And number two, the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Because you had prophets of old and it was revealed to them that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. But what they couldn't do, what they were scratching their heads over was, the Messiah is coming and he's going to suffer. What? No, 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 no. The Messiah comes and the Messiah comes in power. The Messiah comes in majesty. And he comes in and he saves the people. And there's liberation and emancipation and, and freedom for the people. And he sets himself up as king. And he rules and subdues everybody else. That's what Messiah is supposed to do. But he says the Messiah will come and he will suffer. And then after the suffering, there's going to come glory. Oh, 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 oh. Didn't get it. We don't, we don't understand. Sorry. And they searched. Is this a person? Is it a time? What is going on here? And they were students of that dilemma. Then verse 12. It was revealed to them. Who? The prophets. Right? It was revealed to them that they were serving. This study they were doing. This excavation. This revelation that was being given. They were serving not themselves. But. Come on people. If I can preach. Then drive. Then lead worship. And then preach again. You can pay attention. You can do that. Alright. It was revealed to them. That they were serving. This wasn't for them. This wasn't for them. This wasn't about them. It wasn't for that time period. It was for a future period. It was about you. Prophets of old were studying about you and scratching their heads. You think that's amazing? Look at the next verse. It says... But you, and in these things they have now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit of heaven. We'll come back to that. Things into which angels long to look. Even the angels are like, what is going on here? What is going on? Do you know that the angels don't know everything? There are some dumb ones as well. The, the angels, they are all powerful but nowhere to go. They, they, they are in charge. They are God's mighty servants. They are powerful. They are battling over our lives and for God's purposes. Morning, noon and night. They are protecting God's people. They are uh, praising and worshipping in heaven. They are doing a whole lot. And these angels don't know everything. In fact, they don't know God's plan. What God has revealed to the prophets through the Holy Spirit. What God has revealed to you and me through the, to the Spirit of God in our lives. Even angels don't know. So when Jesus died, the angels are like, oh... And when Jesus rose again, the angels were like, ah. And they are following with us just as we were. And when a person gets saved, the Bible says the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice. There's a party in heaven when somebody says, Jesus, I love you back. Well, forgive me. And he, the angels are trying to figure out. They are the ones looking into it. All of this is for you. All of this is about you. Pastor Jerry, don't you think this is about a bit too self-centered? A bit too much reading into the text that I am the center of God's full plan. 
No. It's not reading too much in the text. Because when he says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. You know what it means? It means, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but that's what it means. That's what it means. See, unless you look at the price tag, you will not handle the item carefully. There are some shops where they sell biscuits and chips. There are no thing, no signs like carefully handle. Okay? If you break it, it's sold. But you go to China shops, you go to precious, you go to, and it's guarded with gates. And why? Because the, it's pricey. And you, you are that. You're not behaving like it. You're not acting like it. You're not relating to others like it. You're letting people walk all over you. You're letting people demean you. You're letting people put a price tag on you. But the price tag God has put on you is a much higher, much higher, much higher price tag. It's for you. That's what God's been about all this time. And since it's about you, therefore, therefore, verse 13, circle therefore, circle it three times. Because it's about me, because it's about you, therefore, and he goes on to give you the result of that, what it should do for you, what it should tell you, what it should do in you. Number one, it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. This is not number one, but it's telling you before the number one. It says, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Therefore, preparing your minds. Preparing is present continuous. As you prepare your minds, as you get ready, get ready, something's coming. This is what's going to happen. He says, preparing your minds, not your bodies. He didn't say get fit. He didn't say prepare your bank account. He says prepare your minds. It's a spiritual life, but he says prepare your... Are you getting this? A spiritual life, but he says prepare your minds. No, no, no. He doesn't say go and sit on top of a mountain or be quiet and you're like absolutely empty yourself and just become one with, with the flow. He's not saying that. He's saying get geared up. Get geared up. Two things. For action and be sober minded. What is that? Action and sober. That is control, right? Action and control, right? It's like sitting in a car, and even if you don't drive, you know this. Sitting in a car, you get ready. How do you get ready? You start the engine, and you put your hands on the steering wheel. You start the engine, action, grab the steering wheel, control, okay? If you grab the steering wheel and control, and you don't start the engine, you're going to be there for a while. You're not going anywhere, as controlled as you might be. And the second thing is, if you start the engine, but you don't take control, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. So your mind needs to have both. It needs to be ready for action. It needs to be under control. Do this, number one. Number four, one. Therefore, because you understand what God has done for you, therefore, because you are the center of his plan, number one, prepare your minds for action by setting your hope fully on the grace. Setting your hope fully on the grace. What grace? What grace? What grace is he talking about? Setting your hope fully. I told you that there are several meanings for grace, and this is the third meaning. The first meaning of grace is God's unmerited favor. That God has forgiven you even though you don't deserve it. God has loved you into his arms even though you don't deserve to come back. You are the prodigal that God has uh, killed the fatted calf. He has set up a party for you. It's, it's unmerited favor. It's God's amazing grace. Now, 
Second grace is as you live in this world, God gives you strength to deal with the power that sin has in your life. Sin is destroying you. Sin is destroying others. Sin is destroying others through you uh, or through them. And it is destroying your relationships. So to deal with that and to have victory in your life, God gives you grace. He gives you enabling grace. He gives you ability, strength. That's the second grace. And the third grace is God is going to move you out of the very presence of sin, out of the very control of sin, out of the very ambience and the environment of sin. You will never sin again the moment you are taken out of this world. The moment you are lifted out of this world, when Jesus comes, you are never going to sin again. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? God is going to save you from the very presence of sin. First grace, unmerited favor. Second grace, coping with it in here in the world, living under you know, the, 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 the trauma of sin. And then the third one is complete. He's talking about the third. He's talking about the third. Go back to it, please. Set your hope. Set your hope fully on the grace. What is that grace? The return of the Lord Jesus when he takes you out of the very presence of sin. Set your hope on Christ's return. Set your hope on, I'm waiting for it to sink in. I'm waiting for you to get it. For the Spirit of God to tell you that no, you have not been doing it and you need to do it. That the thing that drives your life, the things that defines your life is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your past is the cross. That is your past. Your presence, your present with worship and with the word, God is sustaining you. But a time is coming where you will be removed from the very presence of sin. And that revelation of Jesus Christ, that return of Jesus Christ, is what every believer has got his eyes on. That is what you set your hope on. What is your hope? He's coming back. What is your hope? He's coming back. Why is he coming back? To take me to be with him. Why? Because I'm precious and I belong to him. Why is he coming back? Because this is not my home. Why is he coming back? Because he's got a home for me. And he wants to take me to be with him forever and ever. His life, his plan for me all along was to be with him. This is just a period of time. I'm waiting for the husband to come to take the bride. Set your hope fully on the grace. The second thing you want to do as you understand the therefore, because it's about you, because you've been vested in. Number two is do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed. Underline that. Don't be conformed to the passions. That's an interesting word. Passions. What does that mean? It means the things that, are, are, that you hold an affection to, the things that you're passionate about. But then you, you were born in this world into a family and into the flesh. Are you with me? Are you with me, everyone? In the flesh and in your previous life, in this world, you inherited certain passions. This is what you wanted to become because this is your life. 60, 70, 80 years, this is what you wanted to become. This is what you want to get for yourself. This is what you want to attain for yourself. This is what you want to become. So you, these were your passions. You grew and your parents and everybody else said, this is the value. This is where you're headed. This is what... Now everything has changed because now you are a child of God and the Spirit of God is saying, don't conform to the passions of this world, conform to something else. Well, what should I conform to? What is the opposite of the compassions of, of this world? The, sorry, the passions of this world. What is the opposite of that? Verse 15, but, that's your con contrast right there. But he who called you, as he who called you is holy, be ye holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. So you've got two options. One is you could conform to the passions of the world that you inherited. That's your flesh. 
In the flesh you would have inherited that. But in the spirit of God that has given you new life, you are inheriting new passions. And this new passion says, become like God. Be holy as he who has called you is holy. It doesn't say do holy. Note that? It doesn't say do holy. It says be holy. But it says be holy in all your conduct, which is doing. So your doing is going to come out of your being. Your doing is going to come out of your being. If you don't be, you won't do properly. Be holy. Be holy. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? You and I mostly think of holiness as not sinning. Correct? We think of it as not sinning. Someone who does not sin at all. Oh, he's such a holy man. He's such a holy man. Who is holy? Who is holy? Only God. Nobody else is holy. If you thought you were holy, I have a surprise for you. You are not. You are not holy. Neither am I. There is none holy, no not. One. Romans chapter 3. So then what is he saying to be, to be holy when I'm not holy or don't stand? A chance of it. He's basically saying this thing. He's saying as the one who has called you is separate from all the passions of this world, you also be separate from all the passions of the world by being sacred and set apart for my purposes. That means your mindset is such that you might have inherited these passions to be like this, to become like this, but now you want to become like this and put your hope on Christ's return. You're going to think completely different. You're going to think completely. You're going to set yourself apart. You're going to sacred to the task. Be holy in all your conduct. Why? Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Doing, doing, not doing, but being. Be holy. God is not asking you to do holy. He's asking you to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be set apart. To be set apart. To think differently. My dear brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's painful. It is painful. I'm often at the airport. Not so much nowadays, but I was traveling a lot uh, in the earlier years. And you would get to international airports especially. Not so much national airports, but international airports. Domestic. But... <coughs> You'd have the father with two suitcases, and then you'd have the mother with two suitcases, and then you'd have the child who's two inches tall with two suitcases. And they've got more suitcases than family members. Okay? And they've got tons of them, and they're having, they're haggling with that thingamajee, what is that person called, at the, the check-in uh, lady. You know, the one with the bow. Yeah. So she, they're having a thing, and you all standing in line, you're getting upset because it's taking forever. Because they're taking just forever and they've got like thousands of bags. And, and then comes the moment where they're haggling, haggling. And finally the lady puts the suitcase down on the floor. And the whole family gets down on their knees somehow or the other in front of everyone. The whole world, all the nations are gathered there to get on, 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 on Asiana or whatever. And, and she opens the suitcase. And all the things that they went shopping for in Chinatown, regardless of which country they went to, and all the things that they gathered, they have to slowly take out now and keep it. And you could feel the pain. You could feel the hurt, the grief as they take out that dress, take out that toy, take out that gadget. And they have to take it out. And, and, and she's standing there, the check-in lady, she's like, yeah, 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 take it out. Yeah, yeah, take out. Yeah, take it out. She means nothing to her. It means nothing to her. And you're like taking it out. And you are upset. You are disappointed. You are angry with yourself that you packed too much to travel. You forgot that you don't belong here and that you have to go back home. And you put in too much 
and now you have to leave it back. We're living like that. Some of us are living like that. The way you're working with your job, you're going on like your job's going to go to heaven with you. The way you're going on with your partying, it's like as if there's never going to be a party. This is it, brother. This is it. On the first floor of Vasant, Vasant Vihar uh, with, with disco lights, this is it. This is as good as it gets. Angels are like, what is that? Is he on? Is it off? Is it on? Is it off? Somebody fix the electricity. We go on that. We invest. We invest in this company, in that. We, we invest. Is that wrong? No, I'm not saying it's wrong. Passions. Passions. And we want to hoard as much, and we can't take it. We'll never take it. And you put your hope on the return of Christ. And you know, just between you and me, when Jesus comes, he will take you, travel light. Just saying, travel light. Verse 17, if you call him father, who judges impartially according to the, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this verse. Do you like this verse? Conduct yourselves with fear. Oh, but pastor, I thought that, you know, we were supposed to be emancipated and liberated. And I saw we as believers have the liberty of God. Isn't that what Galatians is all about? We are free. We are, uh, I think we sing songs about it and whatnot. How are we not supposed to live in fear? We're not slaves. No, I'm no longer a slave. Fear. I am a child. You know, every consecutive generation is fearing God less. Every consecutive generation is fearing God less. And if you don't have a healthy fear of God, you will not take as seriously the things that God is opposed to, the things that God is offended by, and the things that are a violation of God's code in your life. Sin settles in more easy, not because of the sin itself or because how much you need to do it. Sin settles in easy because your fear of God has waned. Can I let you just think about that for a second? Let me talk to parents. Parents, we are not teaching our children the fear of God. We are teaching our children the fear of me. The fear of mother. The fear of teacher. The fear of failure. The fear of no getting a job. The fear of embarrassment in the future. The fear of ridicule by the relatives. The fear of our country's future. Fear of everything else but the fear of God. And we're teaching our children that. And when you get to the children, they will grow up and they'll teach something else to their children and it just gets lesser and lesser and lesser. To the point where God is saying, nobody, nobody seeks after me anymore. Nobody searches after me anymore. Is your, are your children going to be the generation that doesn't seek after God? They've forgotten God. Forget it. Forget it. We don't need God in our lives. We could do very well without it. In their short five foot, six foot little lives with their until sickness hits, until cancer hits, until some trauma hits, they don't come to their knees before God. When it does hit, they come as if God is the only hope and the only source of joy that they could pour. The only hope that they have. That's when suddenly God is everything. When God can speak healing into you. But all their lives when everything's good, when the strength is in the veins, and when everything is fine and the money is flowing in, you forget God and you live as you please. He's saying you've forgotten the hope. He's coming back. 
and live in fear that God will hold you accountable. He says here, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. Huh? Huh? What? Father judges? Fathers don't judge, judge judges. But your judge in this case is your father. That could be good news or bad news. That could be good news or bad news. According to each one's deeds, therefore conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time. Knowing that you were ransomed with the, from the futile ways inherited. Listen to this, listen to this. You had passions before and you inherited from the flesh, from your father. You inherited from your uh, humanity certain passions. And you were ransomed out of that. You were bought out of that. You were rescued out of that. And you were given new passions. Passions for eternity. Passions for God's return. Passions for, for, for God's purposes. Eternal purposes beyond your life. And you've been ransomed from that. And a heavy price has been paid so that you can live this life. I'm going to say it again. A heavy price has been paid so you can live this life. When you leave that and go back to this. You are messing with the fear of God. You are messing with the fear of God. Some of you don't need to get your life in order. Some of you don't need to repent of too many things. All you need to do is restore the fear, the healthy fear for God. That you think he's a joke. You think he's just up and distant. And you think he's not able to whip you out in two seconds. He's a father who judges. And he's a judge who's your father. So you're related to him no matter what. Get it? You're not going anywhere. He's going to straighten you out. He's going to straighten you out. And I have to warn you, those of you who are living in consistent sin, those of you who are living in sin, whether it's in sin of, of atheism or in terms of unbelief in God, whether it's a sin of a relationship, whether it's a sin of fornication or whether it's a sin of, 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 of abuse, no matter what sin you're living with, that you have decided it's not a problem, that you decided God will handle it, it's already covered. Let me warn you, the Spirit of God says in the New Testament, He says He will hand your body over to the devil so that He can take your spirit and take it to heaven. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He's committed to you. You are not going to hell. You are not going to hell. You are not going to hell. But He'll destroy your body. Because your body is getting in the way of your spirit going to heaven. That's the truth. Deal with it. When your body, when your life, when your priorities here on earth start pushing you back from that life to this life, God will take care of your body like that. He'll take care of your job like that. He'll take care of your relationships like that. He'll remove people from your life. He'll start showing the control you never knew he had. But before that could be the case, if you call God Father, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time that you are saved. Why? Because you've not been ransomed by gold, by silver, You've been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm almost done. Uh, stick with me. The precious blood of Jesus Christ like that of a lamb. What do you do with lambs? You sacrifice them. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the earth. Now who's the he? It's the lamb. The lamb is a he. Circle that. Circle he, circle lamb, connected. He was foreknown before the foundation of the earth. But... Circle but, because you got a contrast there. But was made manifest in the last time for the sake of, guess who? You. He was made manifest for the sake of you. So you've got God the Father, who revealed that it was about you. And then Jesus comes, and you learn that it's all about you. 
that everything God has been doing is for you. He has invested in you heavily and mightily. Now let me speak to some of you young men. Some of you young men, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 25, 30. Brothers, you're far, far more precious than your job or your boss or your, what you think is your girlfriend thinks. You're far more precious than that. Young men, you are God's plan for redemption. Young men, you are God's hope for healthy families. Young men, you are God's solution to poverty in this land. Young men, you are God's protection for the women of this land. Young men, it is not about you and your career. God will give you two jobs or three jobs. God lift you up like that and he'll drop you like that. And he'll lift you up like that. He'll drop you like that. There'll be seasons in your life when you think you're a failure. Then you think you're a success. Then you think you're a failure. Then you think you're a success. God doesn't care anything. Because he only got you here for 78 years. He'll take you out. He's waiting for Jesus to come. And then he's going to give you your real job. And your real job is going to last you a lifetime, uh, an eternity. And your real job is going to be your real value based on your real value, based on the father's inheritance. Young men, don't waste your life by redefining your life and your value based on what these fellows who hold their jobs for two years at a stretch and look for new jobs every 24 months. These men who are selling people's lives and futures with insurances and whatever the case may be. These companies that are out to make money, you are giving your life to them and letting them define how valuable you are. 2018 years ago, Jesus hung on the cross and with every last drop of blood said, that's how much you're worth to me. Young men, you give your life away and your respect away when you don't put God first. When you don't understand that that old life was ransomed out. You were saved out of the, for this life. When your hope, your greatest pleasure, your greatest treasure, your greatest dream in life is not the return of Jesus, but something else that you will accomplish before the return of Jesus, you have lost sight of your value, my young brother. God needs you to get your act together. God needs you to put your eyes on Jesus. God needs you to have your values right. God needs you to trust him, to be his servant, to be his man, so that he can give you a woman who's worthy of it, so that he can give you a family who's worthy under your care. God has put you as the umbrella over the family so that he can, through you, love the family, protect the family, and provide for the family. He has chosen to do it through you. Not through anybody else. And when you let another man love your wife, and when you let another man parent your children, and when yet other people parent your kids and, and influence your kids, you are losing out. And if you have already decided that you are a slave of the system, you have already given up on God's plan for your life. And there's a woman out there who will never have a godly man, children that will be born without a, a proper godly father and a a society that's coming up that's going to be even worse than the current one. My young brother, wake up. You are more valuable than your girlfriend, your mother, or your father says you are. So rethink your definitions. Get into the word. Get into the word. Do you know why men don't res women don't respect men today? Do you know why women are scared of men? Do you know why the thought of a man being in control of anything scares the life out of women? 
Because they haven't seen a man under God's control. Can we show them a few? Can we show them a few? A man who is in control of his passions, the passion of his past life. And he's dedicated to the passion of his future. He was foreknown before the foundation of the earth, but was made manifest in these last for you, who through him became believers in God. Who through him became believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let me close with this. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. This lamb is a he. This he is what God sent to the throne. God sent to the cross. He sent him to the cross so he may die. What a horrible plan. No, he sent him to the cross so he would die. So that in raising him up again, your hope and faith might be in God. No, you don't get it. Let me do it again. If Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sin, your sin would still be paid for. But there would not be nothing to hope for. If Jesus died on the cross and shed all his blood for you, your sin would be paid for, but there would be no one to love you or love back. There would not be any Jesus resurrected from the dead. There would not be any hope to look forward to. But God forgave you your sin and has rescued you and, 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 and ransomed you so that you could live this life. So that you could live this life with a hope. So that your hope and faith is in God. Is in God. You know what God is? It's a foundation. Moses was looking for, Abraham was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. As a foundation. God is not a destiny to run to. God is the rock under you. And when you're not standing on a rock, all your attention is just going on to balance. All your attention is on balance. Anyone can throw you off. Any girl can attract you. Any priority can persuade you. So he says, so your hope and faith is in God.